0: Another course of action is that this is a black flag operation by Putin to slyly reposition the Wagner group into Belarus.
1: Welcome back. I am here again with one of our most treasured guests, Dr. Sean McVeigh. Now, I've talked to Sean in the past and I haven't done an episode on geopolitics for a while, but I want to emphasize how lucky we are to have Sean here. He is the foremost expert on mercenaries in the English speaking world. He has contacts at Wagner. And today we're going to talk about what the media is kind of glossing over and hasn't really talked about that much, which is. What the heck happened with this Wagnerian rebellion in Russia in the past week, week and a half? And Sean's going to kind of give us a little background about what happened for folks living under a turnip truck. And then we'll spend much of the episode talking about broader implications, which, spoiler alert, are not not very rosy. So, Sean, welcome back, my friend. Well, what it's, happened? <laughs> it's great to see you.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, this always happens when I'm on a family vacation. Last time I was on family vacation, some Colombian mercenaries assassinated the president of Haiti about two or three years ago. So it just
1: I don't know. It's just the way it goes. But so here's what happened. Oh, 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 and the yeah. last thing I didn't say that I, yeah. I should have said, you were also a private military contractor for many years. So, you know, this yeah. industry inside and out. So, uh, sorry, yeah, I'm a former picture. insider,
0: which is how I know Wagner Group guys, because they contact me as a as somebody from that world. So, yeah, like you was in the U.S. Army, I was a paratrooper. And then I sort of went to the dark side, as I said, and became a contractor initially for The U.S. government doing sort of special operations stuff and CIA type stuff in Africa and was shocked to find out that the U.S. government was outsourcing a lot of that stuff. And this was 20 years ago. And then I went freelance, mostly in Africa, because that's where most of the conflicts are. And then I had a moment of, of uh, as I would say, come to Jesus moment, uh, realizing that there's a lot of not just moral issues with this, but that there weren't a lot of old people in my industry. So I got out of it, went to graduate school, and but I've kept in touch. And my mission really has been to pull back the curtain. On the scary world of mercenaries, it's a lot more dangerous and scarier than people think. And the past week and a half of Wagner Group staging a mutiny against Moscow is an example of this. In fact, it's something I predicted 10 years ago in my book, The Modern Mercenary. So anyway, what happened? So. As we know, Russia has been waging a war in Ukraine. Ukraine. And the second best army in Ukraine is the Wagner Group. The third best is the Russian army. The the Wagner Group is a Russian mercenary outfit. It sort of came on the scene in the Ukraine war of 2014 it was started by a colonel who is retired from russian special forces or spetsnaz his name was Dmitry utkin who by all accounts is a very good commander and a neo-nazi hence the term wagner group which is after the russian composer Richard wagner he died in the 1870s 80s but he was an inspiration for the nazis but they became the wagner group in the wars between 2014 and, and now became Russia's weapon of choice. anytime Russia wanted to do something that was like super risky and super dangerous in places like Syria, throughout Africa, they didn't send Russian special forces or Russian troops because it would be you know too blatant and too, and if they got in trouble, they couldn't disavow them using Special Forces mercenaries, they could easily disavow them. So one of the chief selling points of Russia for, you know, of, of mercenaries is they give good plausible deniabilities. Another chief selling point is that it allows people like Putin to skirt international law because mercenaries don't give a damn about international law or human rights abuse. In fact, that's one of the things that they do. And the third reason why Putin has relied so heavily on mercenaries like the Wagner group is because, you know, Russians, just like Americans, hate to see Russian soldiers coming home in body bags, but they don't care about dead contractors or dead mercenaries. Mm -hmm. So it allows, you know, Putin, it lowers the barriers of entry to conflict for Putin because, you know, even though he's an autocrat, he still has a domestic base to please. And, you know, by outsourcing the war to contractors, you know, the public doesn't really care if they, you know, if they lose a lot of them. So for these three reasons, Russia has been increasingly dependent on the Wagner Group. Now, the Wagner Group has expanded from like 10,000 mercenaries to like 50 or 40 or 50,000 mercenaries in the past year, because the war in Ukraine is, you know, wasn't over in four days, just like all the people in Moscow thought and all the experts on CNN and, and Fox News thought it lasted a long time. So they had to, you know, empty jails and stuff like that to fill the Wagner group. But then there began this rift between Prigozhin who's the oligarch who finances the Wagner group and is in Putin's inner circle and the what they call the siloviki Now, the Siloviki are like the elites in the Russian security forces, the generals, the head of the intelligence, SVR, the GRU. I mean, all the heads of the national security establishment of Russia, they are called the Siloviki. And this rivalry started to start like as soon as March of 2022 and became very bitter, which is not a surprise. This is as old as mercenary warfare itself and mercenary warfare mercenaries are the second oldest profession there's always been a rift historically between knights and mercenaries you know professional soldiers and mercenaries and the reason is is because we think of soldiers like wives and mercenaries like prostitutes, who turn the service, the honor, the duty, and the love uh, on its head and turn it into a transaction. And that's exactly what happened in the past year in Russia, that you had the Siloviki trying to sabotage Wagner and Prigozhin and vice versa, and Putin was trying to play them off each other. Because this is this, the management style of his hero, Joseph Stalin, who often play generals and rivals off each other and manage through that chaos. Well, this rivalry between Purgosian, the owner of the Wagner Group, and the Siloviki got started to get really out of hand in public starting in January of 2023. And it kept on going. And we don't know if if Putin allowed it or he couldn't control it. But as of mid-June in 2023, we know that Prigozhin that and the Wagner group rebelled. Now, the reason they rebelled and they marched on Moscow, and let me remind everybody, the last two guys to march on Moscow were Hitler and Napoleon. So not a small deal. The reason, the trigger event for this is that Shoigu, who is a minister of defense for Russia. Corrupt and competent. But yeah, Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's funny if you read Purgosian's telegraph or telegram channel, he just calls all these like Garamasa, these fat old generals sitting behind wood desks sending men to die like it's Stalingrad, you know, and Purgosian's not wrong, you know, Purgosian, you know, I mean, let's let's face it. And so, you know, anyway. Shogu tries to nationalize the Wagner group, just like, you know, if a country like Nigeria tries to nationalize, you know, ExxonMobil's oil rigs. And he says, you know, he he says that, you know, by the end of June, Wagner group is going to have to be part of the Russian army under my command or else be arrested. And of course, this would leave prigozhin like, you know, in the wind. Without an army, he's nothing. And a lot of, you know, people in the Wagner group don't want to work. They don't want they didn't sign up to be in the Russian army. They could have done that. They didn't want to do that. There's a lot of reasons you don't want to be in the Russian army and sent to Ukraine. So. Because of all this, because this deadline, you know, join the army or else, Pergosian was in a window as he had to act or get sort of cut out. So he and the Wagner group, you know, it was July, what? I don't know what it was, 15. I don't know. I mean, June 15. I don't know what it was, but it was well, it was like eight days ago. They unannounced went to Rostock, which is the headquarters of the Russian military command that was in charge of Ukrainian war. And they took over the entire city, they took over the headquarters, they took over the airport, and then they marched to Moscow. They convoyed to Moscow. And they met surprisingly little resistance, showing that a lot of Russian rank and file in the army don't really want to get involved. It also shows, it demonstrates the Potemkin village of Putin's sort of coup-proofness around the Kremlin. And Putin did send Russian aviation to assassinate pergosian and the Wagner group shot them down i think they killed like 23 pilots or aviator crews and then we yeah what what did they send against them fixed wing or rotary wing i don't know there's been confusion i assume it's rotary wing like mi-24 Heinz or something like that but it could have been fixed wing but all we know is that i mean there's conflicting reports because all sides put out disinformation i mean the kremlin puts out lots of disinformation but Wagner also, I mean, Prigozhin doesn't just own the Wagner group, he also owns the Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, a.k.a. the Troll Factory. And so, you know, and also Kiev is a huge disinformation provider, too. So all these people are providing disinformation. So, you know, anybody who quotes the ministry of defense from Kiev or the ministry of defense from Moscow, you should just instantly take it with some skepticism or anything Prigozhin has to say. So it's hard to triangulate the truth on this stuff.
1: What have you heard that they shot these aviation assets down with? Cause that's another source of,
0: I don't know. I mean, Surface-to-air missiles. So again, I don't know.
1: I, I I can't I can't verify this. I have no idea because I heard it like second or third hand. But yeah, I uh, don't know well, either. There's so much disinformation in the
0: space, especially about details. One report,
1: one report was it was Stingers that were captured from you could have been, which were provided by the U.S. I but mean, it, again, yeah, no idea
0: if that's true. Well, we we gave them a lot of stuff, and and people we have to remember that the way ukraine has been portrayed by the media in the united states is that they are a force of good that could do no wrong but we can't forget that you know ukraine is as corrupt as you know russia you know with their own oligarchs and I refer to it as Nigeria with snow, you know, it's a corrupt place and the accountability of all the weapons and money we've given them is an an open question. And it's a reason why some members of Congress really want to put the leash on what we're giving and sending over there. So it wouldn't surprise me if they used American made stingers to shoot these aircraft down, but I don't have any, I have no verification of this.
1: Okay, sorry, continue.
0: So anyway, w- what we know is, here's what we know. It's like a black box. We see what goes into the box, what comes out of the box. We can only speculate in the box, is in the, co- the armored convoy to Moscow, Prigozhin and Putin were on the phone hastily negotiating. Now, we don't know what the deal was, but we do know that Prigozhin stopped. He agreed to go and take the Wagner group with him to Belarus, which is a puppet of Putin. And they have a common narrative that a was, you know, Putin can't be seen to be seen as, you know, about to you know, vulnerable to a coup d'etat. So they both sort of said it was nothing to see here. But there has been a lot of erroneous commentary in the American press uh, for reasons which I can get into about that Putin won this thing. It's not. It's simply a pause. And people have been saying all week that Putin is winning, is won this, Prigozhin's going to be dead, blah, blah, blah but i'll tell you what until the wagner group lays down its arms in mass and joins the russian military nothing is over and the deadline for that is today today is saturday july 1st so by the end of today or by tomorrow we'll see what happens now you know so all this expert commentary it reminds me of all the expert commentary when russia first invaded ukraine and all these retired you know generals and cia people and think tankers oh russia's gonna you know trounce ukraine in three days and here we are in a stalemate you know a year and a half later practically so it's just an ex- another example of how the expert class in washington is not so expert
1: So one thing you said that i hadn't heard yet because there's been so much confusion i had certainly heard that pergosian was getting quote unquote exiled to belarus but i hadn't heard that all of the wagner group was getting sent to belarus as well so one thing that again a question i asked myself was this thing happened with minimal blood loss, it happened so fast. And you are the expert on sneaky war in addition to mercenaries. What are the chances that this was an elaborate ruse to reposition the Wagner group into Belarus to open to open up a second planned offensive or front <laughs> in the north? Against Ukraine after the Ukrainian military exhausts itself on the current of counteroffensive, which is actually not going very well. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, what are the chances of that? Is that even a remote possibility? No, it's a chance.
0: As you remember, Sean, we used to, in the army, we'd call it a course of action, a COA. Exactly which for viewers is like a strategic approach. So let's examine all the possible COAs right now as of 1st of July. So one course of action, like first of all, like I said, nothing is over, it's just on pause, okay? And the indicator that Putin won is that the Wagner Group lays everything down, all their weapons, joins the Russian military, and, and Prigozhin either is killed or disappears. So, okay, that's what that's one course of action. That's what people expect is happening. I disagree with that. Another course of action is that this is a black flag operation by Putin to slyly reposition the Wagner group into Belarus, which is a north and northwest of Ukraine and the President Lushenko, who is a puppet, it's a puppet regime of Putin, has already offered to build bases for the Wagner Group there. And this could be a sneak attack, you know, onto Ukraine as another front. And we all know that the Eastern Front has stalemated because of Russian military's underwhelming performance and Ukraine's like utterly lackluster counteroffensive that they've been promising everybody for almost a year we've given them you know billions of dollars worth of equipment it seems and it fizzles out into a you know into a thing of steam the crimea is solidly russian and Mariupol is russian so both sides need a new type of initiative so it's possible that this is all an elaborate plan it's well within russia's strategic culture of they have a, a history of strategic sneakiness called Maskarovska, as in masquerade or unconventional war or gray zone war whatever you want to call it but this is totally within their playbook so that's
1: one course of action mm-hmm. another course of action a- actually yeah, actually yeah. not to yeah. interrupt has anyone in the media even asked that question I
0: think it's been raised by some commentators, but the Washington consensus right now is Moscow has won this, Pergohen the Wagners out, which, you know, and it it just reveals their ignorance about private warfare, about sneaky warfare. I mean, it's just there's no evidence. It, it's just like it's it, it reminds me of the CIA totally being oblivious to the end of the Cold War in nineteen eighty nine you know, it's it's sort of. A more strategic failure from the strategic cognoscenti. So yeah, it's has been raised but not, not in a serious way. Okay, um, next course yeah. of action. Sorry. Okay, next course of action is that Putin is trying he's trying to separate in his messages the leadership of the Wagner group from the rank and file of the Wagner group. He's he's trying to say, "Hey, Wagner group, you're loyal Russians" You know, lay down your arms, join the Russian army. We will give you amnesty and not and not kill you as traitors. And I assume what he's going to do is also honor their contract. So, a Wagner contract, if you got emptied out of a jail, is this? You know, if you can survive six months. You will get full amnesty and an honorable discharge if you survive six months. So, if you're on, so if you're a Wagner Group guy who's survived five months and has thirty days to go, you may take that deal. But if you just got out of a jail last month, you have five more months. I mean, they you are the cannon fodder for the Russian military, which is which is already cannon fodder. I mean, you know, Putin has no regard for human life, so. We'll see if that, how much of Wagner Group that appeals to this deal. And meanwhile, you know, Wagner Group is more than just Purgosian and has several layers of leadership. They're loyal to Purgosian, mostly for paycheck. He's not like a... He's not like a Che Guevara or a Mandela. He's just an oligarch. He's the financier. He's the the bag man. So, you know, but that's enough, right? So one course of action is Putin, uh, you know, he splits the Wagner group in half. Most of the Wagner group join the Russian military. And then he goes after the leadership and either offers them a choice of arrest, exile, execution, some combination therein. Right. And, you know, if that happens, this is what might happen in response. The Vodou group may not take the deal. Because they don't trust Putin. And so they may revolt. And the problem about mercenaries is, is that they can resist arrest literally, which is why mercenaries are the second oldest profession. They've been around war as long as we, ha- as, as humans have. It's only in the past 200 years that mercenaries went underground and now they're resurrecting. And who's going to go in and arrest all those mercenaries in Belarus? The Russian military? They mm-hmm. may get killed. The United Nations, no, they'll definitely get killed. And this is the problem of mercenaries, is that you can't arrest them, uh, not easily. So if that happens, you know, Putin might invoke a civil war in Russia while fighting a war in Ukraine. Right. And or if the Wagner group decides to generally go with the Russian army, Prigozhin might go to Africa like places like Mali or Sudan where his best mercenaries are. His best mercenaries are not in Ukraine. They're not in Belarus. They're mostly in Africa doing other dirty work for him and until recently, the Kremlin. And we can talk more about Africa later, but Prigozhin has options besides just you know getting killed by Putin. Now, Putin could put a standing kill order on Prigozhin but Prigozhin could put a standing kill order on Putin and stage a palace coup with his more elite Wagner group guys. So that is on. Okay, another course of action, that's two courses of action. Another course of action is Putin grants general amnesty for the Wagner group right? But if that happens, it'll really piss off the Siloviki, like Masov and Shoigu, and they might decide, you know, maybe Putin is no longer the guy we need to lead us, and we're going to change that with a palace coup of our own, which risks another civil war, but this time from his Siloviki side. So Putin's in a box. If he's too strict against Wagner, he tempts a rebellion from then in a civil war. If he's too lenient against Wagner, the Siloviki might start a civil war, right? Either way, you know, there's a good chance by this time next year, one or both of Prigozhin or Putin might be dead for all we know, you know? So those are at least three or four courses of action. I do think it's possible that, you know, today will, will be an indicator how many Wagner group guys lay down their arms and join the siloviki side and also Prigozhin could also just disappear into africa and either sort of become a man with his own private army in africa maybe going after cobalt mines in katanga province in the congo or he could stage his revenge on the kremlin and disappear for several months and then reappear you know and stage a palace coup in the kremlin so All these things are on the table. We should know more by close of business today. If nothing changes by close of business today, then that's also an indicator.
1: Two quick questions. So have you seen that Pergosian recently met with Victor Boot? Yeah, i
0: read about that. And Victor Boot's a guy I've been tracking also since the 1990s, yeah.
1: Which he was, just for the audience, he was a international arms dealer that was held by the U.S. Mm-hmm. that was traded for Brittany Greiner. And when I saw that news report and then saw this rebellion, I have thought, is there any way that some U.S. intelligence agency turned Victor Boot and is using him as an intermediary to deal with Purgosian? And then the second question is the follow-up is, do you think the U.S. intelligence community is trying to flip Prigozhin in a way that will provide him, A, with a way out and B, with a potential U.S. asset in Russia?
0: Okay. So, so Victor Boot, who's a notorious arms dealer, some of your viewers or listeners may remember the movie, The Lord of War with Nicolas Cage. It's based on Boot's life. And... For some background, I kind of slipped into that after him. I worked a lot in Liberia during the war period there, and I also did a lot of arms deals on the Victor Boot. I was kind of on the Victor Boot trail, flying AN26 Cubs into parts of Africa with arms from Eastern Europe. It's interesting. So it is possible that the U.S. Intel services flipped Victor Boot and made him a traitor or a double agent it's a possibility i don't know if he has or not but it, you can't take it off the table or it's possible that both parties are using him as a go-between you know moscow Prigozhin, and you know it's all okay so that's first that's victor boot victor boots his best days are behind him he's no longer when he was doing all his arms trading in the 1990s, it was a very different world than today. But he still has contacts, and he still has, you know, some know-how, and he could still be active. I don't know the details if he is active, et cetera. Now, the more interesting question is this: In the remember the 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 convoy ride to Moscow in Prigozhin's armored SUV, it's possible he had multiple. Cell phones in front of them that were open, one to Putin, one could have been to Zelensky, and he could have been making a deal. I mean he's a businessman, and it's possible another course of action is that the u s government, which doesn't want any fingerprints on this, may have called up Zelensky, and I wrote an, an op-ed about this for Newsweek in March of this year that you know. The U.S. government could have said to Zelensky, "Hey, we'll pay through you, like you know, five hundred million dollars to bribe Prigozhin and the Wagner group off the battlefield,"
1: which means Prigozhin gets fifty million. But continue.
0: Yeah, so you know, and you know, wh- why try to kill these Wagner groups? You can just bribe them off the battlefield and let. The Russian weak army alone have to face the Ukrainians. That would have made for a much more successful counteroffensive. Now, when I said this in March in the Newsweek article, people thought this was fanciful. And of course, it's cheaper than all the F 16s and M1 tanks, which are fairly useless, as the counteroffensive has clearly revealed. That would have been better. So it is also, there's another course of action that, you you know, paying mercenaries to stay home is a very ancient strategy in private warfare. Because in mercenary warfare, it's military strategy meets market strategy. It's like Klausowitz and World War II strategy meets like, you know, what CEOs do, you know, buying out competition or the strategies of the Sucre eBay. And our modern national security experts, the you know, four-star generals, they don't get that on either in the Kremlin or in Washington. And that's the problem. So I don't that's a possibility that, you know, that uh, Purgosian was on the phone, multiple phones trying to make a multiple deal quickly and maybe even letting Putin know about it. Um, it's like, here's a time limit. Who's here? Who I'm talking to What's your offer? So he could have done something like that. We just don't know. And nobody really knows because nobody was in that
1: vehicle with him. Okay. So we now know what the landscape is of what caused this, not necessarily what caused this incident, but the drivers of this incident. And we kind of know how it's been resolved, and resolved is not really the word, how it's been mitigated for now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. What are the longer term implications of this? Like, what is this illustrative of in predicting future trends that we might see with private mercenaries?
0: Yeah, this is the bigger question that not enough people are asking. People are obsessed with the moment and they're looking at the TikTok of events and they think of it as a one-off and it's not a one-off. I mean, again, I predicted this event, you know, 10 years ago in my book. And also I wrote a DOD, Department of Defense monograph on this type of thing in 2018. My recent speakings the last six months is that private warfare mercenaries, they are coming back. They've been coming back in the shadows for 25 years and they, there's nothing that will stop them. International law cannot stop them because, like I said, who's going to go into you know Ukraine, Libya, Yemen, the Congo? Who's gonna go and arrest all those mercenaries? The United Nations isn't gonna do it, NATO is not gonna do it, the US Marines are not gonna do it. Mercenaries now are very lethal. They can shoot you're law enforcement dead, you can rent mercenary MI-24 Hind helicopters on the free market. For those who don't know what an MI-24 Hind helicopter is, they are former Soviet flying tanks, essentially, and they're very lethal. And it, special operations forces, you can get ex-Green Berets, ex-SEALs. I mean, it's all, almost almost everything's available. And we're getting to a point now where, you know, in 10 or 20 years, ExxonMobil, Elon Musk, anybody who's rich can hire a private military and do whatever they want with it. We might see a future where, you know, two mining companies hire their own militaries to take over each other's mines in Africa, especially as everybody wants these rare earth minerals that are in really difficult places like Africa. So this trend basically the resurrection of the mercenary world it has been ongoing for a while Pergosion is just the latest chapter and and the book isn't done yet and the problem is is that world governments don't see it because they are essentially state-centric they only see things in terms of states and anything they look at things that are not states as they call it substate. so mercenaries, drug cartels, terrorists. And we saw how well the, you know, the war on terrorism went for the United States of America. And you, you can look at, you know, Mexico today is that Mexico is really it's narco, narco on narco. And there are narco states, you know, where states are prizes to be won, booty to be won in war. And that's not going to happen in the United States of America, but it's going to start happening more and more in Africa, the Middle East, parts of South Asia. It's already happening in places like that, where there will be wars without states. where the private sector will be able to wage war because warfare is divorcing from the monogamy of just states. And this will change who has power in international relations in deeply profound ways that most
1: foreign affairs experts today just cannot understand. How do you recommend the US government adapt to this?
0: Well, the US government needs to embrace a world where mercenaries are back rather than try to ignore the problem or be assuming that they can legalize or regulate the industry it's the time for regulation is way too late Mm -hmm. so we need to realize how can we surf the wave rather than try to stop the wave and there's a couple of suggestions i have in my books so one is you actually end up hiring a lot of these groups, and you create a, r- a regime that they'd have to follow, of accountability, of transparency, of good behavior versus bad behavior, and you use market mechanisms to curb them. So contractors who do a good job get more contracts, and those who do not get bankrupt. And you know the problem is, is that you know, the military-industrial complex does not have a good track record of accountability, et cetera, et cetera. The other problem is, of course, is that this ultimately just furthers the mercenary market. You're not, you know, curbing it. You're just, you're channeling parts of it. Another thing the U.S. could do is create what I call like a foreign legion based on the French Foreign Legion. Now, when your viewers and listeners think about the French Foreign Legion, they think of mercenaries, they think of Jean Claude Van Damme and others. But the French Foreign Legion is not that. The French Foreign Legion is a part of the French army. It is like a French army unit, but the difference is it's enlisted are from around the world. And after 20 years of service, they sign up for five-year contracts. After 20 years of service, they get French citizenship and they get to retire in France. And that's all. And I've been suggesting for 10 years now that we should adopt a similar model. We have an American foreign legion. It has American officers. It only serves American interests in the United States of America, but it's enlisted from around the world and they get U.S. citizenship. And this does a couple of things. Well, first of all, we already have this visa program like people can serve in our army for a couple of years and get american citizenship this way so it's nothing new we've been offering that for decades the second thing is that we get the benefit of getting people who have skills and we can use them in places that we don't want to send troops long term to like you know maybe parts of africa and they can stay there learn the local customs. And what they do, like the French foreign legion, is they fight the local ways. And Americans won't get too upset if dead legionnaires die, just like the French don't get too upset. So you kind of, you have the accountability of a military unit, but you don't have the problems of contractors or proxy groups who are not loyal, etc. So it's a compromise. But ultimately, we have to get our heads around the fact that mercenaries are back and we have to just, it's another,
1: you know, chess piece on the chess board and we have to learn how to play it. Now, if the US were to implement that in the long run, how do we avoid repeating prior historical mistakes, i.e. the Germanic tribes in ancient Rome were integrated into the legions? Which ultimately led to the sacking of Rome. Yes. Right? It's not like you had random German hordes kind of steaming in. Yeah. They were trained. They were trained yeah. the Roman legionnaire types, yeah. or at least had that experience. How do you prevent that?
0: Well, construct? Putin is a case study in this if he integrates the Wagner group into the Russian army. And there's no way to prevent it, because this is a problem that goes back to the origins of using swords. is that it's safety and accountability, it's safety and control. Those are the two problems. And this is why after the 30 years war in Europe from 1618 to 1648, which saw heavy uses of mercenaries, like mercenary armies of close to 50,000 fighting each other, is that... After the war, it seemed like both elites and the masses were sick of mercenaries. And from 1648 on, nation states started to invest in standing national armies for the first time in history, which are very expensive and also kind of dangerous because standing national armies can also become a coup machine, a coup d'etat machine. But we don't know how and why, but we do know that nation states in Europe began to outlaw mercenaries, hence the stigma against mercenaries, and invest in their own national armies. And the height of it, you know, starting was in a, was in the 19th century, in 1850s, all mercenaries and privateers were outlawed. Privateers are like mercenaries of the ocean, and then it starts to creep back in in the 1990s, and we're co- and now we can't, you know, this trend, which only lasted 200 years, is not going to reverse itself. So this is the problem of mercenary warfare: is control is safety it's what machiavelli warns us against in his book the prince in 1512 and there is no way to control it people think they can control it yet they get burned but let's also not forget that It's not just mercenaries who burn their masters. It's masters who also burn their mercenaries. So people hire mercenaries and don't pay them. Or they hire another mercenary group that's even larger to chase them off. I mean, there's treachery everywhere because in a mercenary world, there is no contract enforcement. Right. There's no court of law you can sue in. So it becomes like, you know, El Paso in the 1870s and it gets bloody. And that's what a world of Washington mercenaries looks like because mercenaries are also incentivized by profit to start and elongate wars. And they do historically. This is what they do.
1: All right. What about China? You don't really hear much about them. That's not to say it's not happening, but are they leveraging mercenaries anymore no
0: they're they're really not so the one part of the world which is really not doing mercenaries right now is is Eastern Asia now we're seeing mercenaries in other parts of Southeast Asia and around the extractive industry and stuff like that but modern China has a huge you know the People's Liberation Army and here's why they're not doing it now they are increasingly privatizing themselves So what they are doing is off, you're seeing, they're kind of where the West was the 1990s, where they have private security firms who are offering like logistical supply and some gate guards, but nothing like the Wagner Group or Blackwater and stuff like that. But they're kind of moving that direction. But the mercenary world doesn't also think much of Chinese mercenaries. Let me tell you why. First of all, nobody can speak their language right second of all beijing does not allow the export of people (laughs) to do this they control you know it's an autocracy they control the movement of their people and third of all their military sucks I know that there's been a lot of like, oh, saber rattling. And it seems like the media, you know, hook, line and sinker. And the Navy, the U.S. Navy loves it because it gives them more money and it gives them more staff. And, you know, they use it on the hill to get, you know, ships that they don't know. So everybody plays this game. But in truth, do you know when the last time was that the Chinese army won a war? Was it
1: 1962? two against india i don't even know if they well that was like india. a firefight Look, a real war was
0: 1949 against the they won the, the chinese civil war internationalists now the last time they launched a war was in 1980 against vietnam now it, think it about this them. the vietnamese had since world war ii had fought france a superpower kicked them out Fought the United States a superpower, kicked them out, went down to the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, kicked their ass. And then, you know, the million man army of China invades and then they kick the Chinese army. They spank him hard.
1: It's like in two weeks. It was quick.
0: Yeah, in two weeks. And, you know, this tiny country called Vietnam, having been a whole generation at war, starving, not with good tech. And so you know the truth is beyond the saber rattling beyond the movies like wolf warrior 2 mm-hmm. you know we shouldn't you know the mercenary world it's the market speaking not a bunch of analysts and wall street you know or or in dc even worse and the mercenary world doesn't rank they don't rate very high the mercenary world so for these reasons china doesn't get into the merc- they don't need to and i don't think that they would be terribly successful in that world now there But they are slowly moving in that direction, and we see them using private military companies in a limited extent in Africa for the Belt Road Initiative, and we'll see how much the effect grows further.
1: What about the United States? I know Blackwater was big for a period of time, but seems to have gone away. I'm not sure the story behind that. Uh, There's kind of the triple canopies of the world. What's the state of the U.S. mercenary industry? So,
0: Blackwater, Triple Canopy, Dinecore, what they did is they kind of got gobbled up into a couple. Well, Blackwater rebranded itself several times and gobbled up by something called Constellus Group, which is a, I don't know if it's a PE or something on, on Wall Street or something like that. And They kind of went out of business, that whole like industry went out of business when the U.S. kind of left Iraq and Afghanistan. Some of those guys, you know, went home. Some of those guys are out there as mercenaries finding new work for new clientele in places like Libya, Yemen, Africa. They're out there. I run into them in places like Papua, and they work, a lot of them work for American extractive industry as sort of security, offensive security. You know, what we, you know, quote unquote security. But they're still out there. The thing is, is that the market has changed. So when you think of Blackwater, the world of private military companies slash mercenaries—that's what that's what they are. We think of them as private military companies. The world saw them as mercenaries. Same with the Wagner Group. Moscow calls the Wagner Group a private military company. We call them mercenaries. Basically, if the skill to do one, you can do the other. Depends on market circumstance and the individual choice of people. So that world where you have these corporate, you know, mercenary firms, the American model, that's gone away. Now, in the last 10 years, the mercenary world has gone sort of in the shadows, and they've become much more atomized, meaning that there are smaller groups that are more loosely affiliated. And it's like an illicit economy, like the mafia or like narcos. And it makes them hard to track because they just put up a new shingle every time they want to do something different. But they hang out in places like Dubai or other conflict zones or or, the conflict zones like you know, during the ISIS era, they they were hanging out in Erbil, which is in sort of Kurdistan, if you will. So, you know, they exist in places and it's really hard to go after them. Some people say you can try to go after their clients, but their clients are states like Nigeria or Russia, hard to go after a state or they're huge multinational corporations or super rich individuals who are very clever at evading scrutiny of, you know, hiding money and stuff like that. So it's It's easy to say and hard to do to to try to go after these groups.
1: Now, since all this happened, or even in the last six months, have you ever had an opportunity to talk to some of your Wagner contacts? Less and less. So the Wagner
0: group, by the way, let's talk about the Wagner group. They are split. There's an old guard and the new guard, and they hate each other. So the old guard, they kind of came up from the 2014 Dmitry Utkin. Dmitry Utkin, who's like the real founder of it, he recruited a lot of his special forces pals, the way that Eric Prince and Blackwater recruited a lot of SEALs, or Triple Canopy recruited a lot of Delta Force guys in the army. And that group are pretty elite, not just Russians, but ex-like former Soviet Republic type you know, upper tier military folks. And they became Kremlin's like silent hand in Syria and throughout Africa. And they were pretty hardcore, not comparable to like Delta Force. We, in fact, in 2018 in Eastern Syria, about 300 Wagner Group guys stumbled into American, you know, Delta Force and we killed more russians that night than any night during the cold war we just annihilated them and i think secretary of defense Mad at the time said annihilate them and so we did and after so after calling
1: the russians after calling the russians after calling so, the Are russians yours,
0: yeah like, nope well, this is the thing that mercenaries offer plausible deniability. And so the morning after we we killed them all, and I talked to Wagner Group guys who were there that night, survivors, I talked to Delta Force guys there, all survivors, and it was a proper annihilation. The point is, is that they're pretty good, but they're not super good. But you know, compared to other countries, if you're in Mali or in Sudan, they're a force to be reckoned with. So meanwhile, all these old guard guys who I know some of them, some of them have disappeared. I don't know if they're dead or if they just disappeared or they don't want to talk or whatever. They tried to stay out of Ukraine because they know it was they were cannon fodder. So they've remained doing Prigozhin's contracts around gold mines and oil mines uh, in Africa. And meanwhile, the ex-convicts that have been dumped out of jails to you know throw into the, the meat grinder of Ukraine, that's the New Guard. They have their own rivalry of sort of knights versus mercenaries. It's interesting to see. But yeah, the New Guard, I don't know. They're all ex-convicts. And I, I have not it's, talked it's to it's
1: them. It's It's Battle of Kashim. Kashim,
0: yeah, I, Kasem, yeah, Kasem, yeah Battle of And East, as a Conoco, uh gas plant out there that wagner was trying to capture for their own use and u.s special forces there were defending for
1: i don't know whose use all right my friend we are at the top of the hour so as always i appreciate your time and expertise it's always fascinating talking to you and Look forward to seeing you soon at some future point, as soon as you can get out of those. Yeah, yeah,
0: thanks. Well, we'll see what happens today. Today's the deadline for the Wagner Group to either lay down their weapons and join the Russian military or face the consequences. And so maybe next time we talk, we can we can carry the conversation forward.
1: Sounds great. All right. Thank you, my friend.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, John.
1: If you enjoyed this video. Please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted the time I post something new.